Welcome to Design Meets Business, a show where design leaders talk about practical ways to quantify design, about making our work more transparent, and about how designers can make a bigger impact in their organization. I'm your host, Christian Vasile. And before we begin, I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. On the last episode of season two, one of my favorite conversations with Jamie Young, Principal Design Manager at Microsoft. We're talking about the need for designers to evolve. We're talking about why storytelling is an important skill to have. And we're talking a bit about being an individual contributor and staying an individual contributor versus moving into management. We are ending season two on a high, and I hope you like this episode just as much as I do. Enjoy. Jamie, welcome to Design Meets Business. You have got 20 years or so in the design world, and during that time, You've been an interaction designer, visual designer, mobile, web designer, graphic designer, brand designer, and that's probably not all of it. So on top of that, you've worked at early stage startups, agencies, and now a titanic company like Microsoft. So it would be really interesting to hear a bit about that journey and a bit about um, how, why you've been in so many different roles and what's exciting about exploring different yeah, roles. Of course. Thank you, Christian. Thanks for uh, bringing me into this and, and asking me to talk about some of these things. To introduce myself briefly, I'm a, a currently a design manager in, on ML or Azure ML for Microsoft, but I've also uh, spent time in Microsoft running uh, the developer tools team. And before that, um, worked in a software company called Canonical, which made a, an open source operating system called um, Ubuntu, which probably people have heard of. And, and as you described, kind of uh, the run up to that has been a, a whole mishmash of different things from marketing websites through to uh, mobile apps and way back in the mists of time 20 years ago or so I was a kind of you know branded communication and campaign designer as well um and I think yeah I think that's it's someone's been at the front door. it's an interesting it's oh, an someone's interesting, at the front door <laughs> yeah go someone ahead. is at the front door um so I, it has been an interesting journey I think we can leave them to to be at the front door um it's been it's, yeah it's been a really interesting journey and I think that you know one of the things that has does i guess connect i suppose all of the experiences that i have is a strong belief that i have is that the that, that kind of like design principles and design values are, are arguably consistently useful throughout all of those kind of form factors in which we design within the importance of and the value of design um was important when I was a brand designer. It's important through your mobile. I think good design is good design. And and although I work in what this, what I sort of sometimes pinch myself as a very slightly weird, very technical area of design right now, you know, and working on kind of machine learning tools for, for Microsoft, the importance of good design and good user experience is still top of everything that we do. And, and the, the thing that I think about and the thing I talk about all the time, the user is still the user and, and, and they still need a good user experience. How have you seen design change over these years? I, I assume the value of design was you know, different 20 years ago than it is now, at least to, how, at least how to how businesses were thinking about it. Yeah, I think that's it. And I, I guess that, you know, 20 years ago to now, the my involvement in those conversations about the value of design was very different as well. When you're a kind of, a, you know, a, a graphic and a brand designer, um, it was almost, it's, it's weird. It was almost, when clients I worked for back then, it was almost a given 
that that you needed a designer to do some of the work that you did like and and that's what's quite interesting actually you know when i started working i worked in things like quark express i worked on print i worked you know i did really you know re really kind of arcane things that a lot of your listeners may never have even heard of hopefully some have and but the importance of design or rather the importance of the involvement of designers was unquestioned in some ways in as much as like you needed a designer to deliver on a on a brochure or a book or a piece of brand work or kind of piece of communication a campaign that was a sort of an essential component of doing any of those bits of work i think what's really interesting now as we evolve the design discipline and i you know i was having conversations with designers on my team just this week about like the kind of idea of a full stack designer or a generalist designer and i think we'll get into that a little bit because that's a really interesting topic the essential need of the design capability as a, a kind of discipline is is gets blurrier these days in software design because of and because of tooling i think because of like the there are um what's the word for it, our access to the tools now, whereas before it was incredibly expensive and you needed a lot of training to do a lot of the work, you know, these days, arguably that's not the case anymore. Um, yeah. It's interesting with, a, you know, we, yeah. So it's interesting that I think that's the big change, which is, I don't know, some people might see as a fearful thing. Some people might see as a worrisome kind of like, well, we've got, you know, cheap access to design tools. Therefore, everybody's a designer. Does it democratize design? I think it challenges the design uh, discipline to look hard at themselves and figure out what it is that makes design important component in the process again. I think that's a kind of interesting time. Yeah. So you said a bit earlier in the beginning, it was very much around delivery, right? The value of design was, was you know, you had to deliver a poster or whatever it was, but mm -hmm. in the present, it's not mm -hmm. so much about delivery anymore. Uh, it's much more about how can you as a designer provide any business value or how can you help the business grow? Because the way I see it and, and very much to the point that you've made is tooling is not as complex as it used to be in the past. Mm -hmm. Access and tutorials are you know, free on the internet. Anyone can really, anyone with, with enough time on their hands, anyone can design a wireframe or anyone can put together a flow in Figma mm -hmm. today or in Sketch, whatever people are using. Mm -hmm. However, the, the skills that are necessary and if anything really valued have changed over time from delivery to more strategic, if you will. Mm -hmm. so would would mm -hmm. you say that that's yeah, accurate? Yeah, no, in, no. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, honestly, that taps right into what I... I'm pretty passionate about talking with people I work with kind of day to day about and, and have done over kind of my time at Microsoft. And I think it was almost certainly the realization when I started managing a team and having to figure out how to make a team of 30 people that were suddenly looking to me for kind of guidance and strategy. How do you make them, how do you make them have the most impact of that you can with a team that size? And it's when I really started to dig into just what you described, Christian, where honestly speaking, when you're a design team of 30 back in the day, sounds quite big. When you're sitting inside Microsoft and your closest partner is the PM who are probably in the hundreds and then engineering are almost in the thousands, you need to start to really think about like, okay, how do I make impact and how do I bring value out of every single one of those people? And we talked about this thing when we were in DevTools, the idea of shifting left, the idea of tackling problems that may become kind of bigger, gnarlier things later on in the process, tackling them earlier. And I started to think about design in that kind of capacity. So I started to really think about, okay, if we have 30 people really making everybody a 
uses Figma and churns out screens is not a, a good use of everyone's time. And so how do we, in fact, engage design as a discipline much earlier in the problem solving, in the concept creation, in the strategic thinking, in the process to have ultimately more impact? It's that early point you can engage. Um, and it's what I've been pushing where I am right now for the last kind of 18 months in Azure ML as well and, and trying to get the team thinking that. And, you know, I think the other thing that I have experienced and been quite interesting in my time kind of working in two teams now in, in Microsoft and spending most of my time in developer tools where we actually had a arguably centralized design organization and challenged by the fact that on the whole, getting that early involvement was a kind of, you know, it was a something that we had to push for and ask for and try and drive towards. More recently, I've spent the last, we've had about six, I can't remember how many months exactly, about five or six months ago where I am in Azure ML, we actually did a mini reorg and we work as as much more cross-functional group. And I've noticed one of the one of the interesting things, my goal of always pushing design earlier in the process because I think it has a bigger impact earlier has been much easier to do when you have a set of cross-functional squads of design where a designer is matched with a PM matched with an engineer matched with a researcher because everybody's just it's one team and everyone understands the value of that and so that's been I think you know whereas I've been on this uh, journey to try and make design impactful and, and arguably push it earlier in the process I think what, one of the realizations I've come to recently is like the organ like the the shit like the way that we also work with partner functions is incredibly important to how effective you can be in that place. For sure. Yeah. Did you find that having these smaller teams, smaller squads allows design to get involved earlier? Yes. I'm going to say yes. What has been interesting, you can set up the groundwork for, for that to be effective. But um, I think there's also an aspect of like culture where you need to really help the designers who are often, you know, in these enormous organizations, and, and I have only experience of, of Microsoft at that scale, but even at Ubuntu, we were a centralized design org and actually arguably were challenged by some of the kind of aspect of not necessarily having as much impact early as we would have liked to. We weren't, design wasn't a function that was kind of involved earlier in the process of, of the product at Ubuntu either. I think it is actually much more now, but certainly in my time, it wasn't then. You can set up the kind of groundwork for success and for involvement early, but you also need to often guide a set of designers or a design group into feeling comfortable in that space as well. And so I would actually say, like, and I can say this openly, they would agree with me themselves, the designers on my team. It took a wee while to acclimatize to the fact that, like, they suddenly had the ability to impact and to be part of that early process much more than they had in the, in the past. And it, and it was a bit of a, oh, okay, I can do this now sort of moment, which was really exciting. It was exciting for me to see that we're working on it right now. It will get better and better as we get better and better at it. Yeah, that's interesting. I've never thought about it that way because mm. everyone talks about we want to sit at the table. We want to make a difference. We want to get involved earlier. But when you get that, how does that change your your daily life? It, it changes exactly. as, in, as in your job, right? It changes your job almost completely because mm -hmm. suddenly, suddenly, what's uh, more important uh, for you as a designer to do is to get involved earlier. You you need to do more, you know, strategic thinking. You need to you know be in those early conversations 100%. with other business stakeholders versus. I just need to deliver some some design work. So it's yeah. kind of like careful what you ask for because you might yeah. just get it. <laughs> a hundred percent, a hundred percent, and and I like I know 
the designers in my group are 100% capable of doing that delivery, of understanding that strategic, of, of partnering with the PMs and engineers that we work with on that and actually having a unique perspective that the other groups don't have on the experience. They come from a, a kind of user kind of focused kind of angle. They always will. I think it's really interesting. Like you're totally right. And I think that's some of the kind of like the shifting and adjustment that has taken needed to be a bit of a mindset shift as well. And as much as it's been, what's also been interesting when I, even when I worked with in the bigger org in developer tools with, with kind of much, much more people, the program management and engineering by and large have always been open to design's involvement. It's just been a capacity of like, how do we get to there? How do we get early? And I think one of the kind of changes I re- like I've really understood this year is like, actually, you really need to think about how the teams are structured to allow for that to happen. Um, and so the partners we have in PM and engineering are like more than happy to have design's involvement at that early stage. We, we don't feel any resistance in that capacity. And that's great. Like, that's super great. And I don't know if it's part of my working with the leadership in those things, as well as it is just the designers that we have on the team are, are very, you know, like they're highly capable of stepping into those strategic places too. But it's, and I hope you don't mind me kind of pivoting into this, but it's interesting because it sort of, it touches a little bit on the conversation I was having, again, having this week with one of the designers about the idea of sort of, and this is kind of probably quite a familiar term for maybe some people, like the idea of a kind of full stack designer and, and is that important? And uh a company as large as Microsoft, we have people that are happy to not do that strategic thinking. Yeah, there are people that are kind of happy to be kind of designers almost in the truest sense of the word where 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 their craft is the thing that defines them as a designer. Yeah. And that's it. And but I do see in large parts of our company certainly that the need for that involvement it, or that the need for that to evolve into more of this kind of like business focus, business thinking designer and certainly we have design leaders at the very highest level who are driving that and push that and you know Jonas Sterling VP of design in Microsoft is one that definitely springs to mind as, as somebody that's very passionate about the idea that design is a business function and should be involved at these early stages but it, it as you kind of touched on earlier Christian it pushes us to think about what the designers core functions are and one of the things that I have noticed recently, and this was part of that conversation, is the importance of research and research being a kind of skill that designers can wield. Um, Because often, again, we complain and worry about design being a small discipline within a huge software organization. Research are even smaller, like, you know, they're half the size of design. And so like, they're even more challenged by some of the things that we talk about and the levels of kind of ratio and what they can get to. So I, something I've definitely noticed a trend of, and it's maybe not that uncommon, but it's certainly something that's kind of happening in Microsoft at the moment, is the desire slash need for designers to be able to wield some research skills to be able to, I think, to be able to qualify a lot of the design decisions that we make. We're incredibly data-driven, incredibly research-driven. To do more of that, we need more people doing those things, if that makes sense. Um so it's interesting. So I think we should uh, go back to talking sure. about you know full stack designers and all that. But just before, I, I have a question to regarding something that you said earlier. You said there might be required a slight organizational change in order to allow design to get involved a bit earlier. So my question to that is: Is there for therefore do you think it's not possible for that change to be driven from the design side? Does it have to be first? 
some sort of an organization change there in order for design to be able to get involved earlier? Hmm, that's an excellent question. I I have I have an opinion on it, and this is just my opinion, but like I would say that I think now there's kind of two parts of my answer, I suppose. I think yes. I think that to see design's impact earlier in the product making process, we probably need to have we have need to think about where does where design sits and and who it works with most closely. And I think that, you know, there's lots of different ways of organizing design teams and there's this kind of like you should organize them depending on the business need and things like that. But the kind of, you know, the broad, the broad shapes are kind of embedded or, or centralized and having been part of both, I'm seeing much more effective early design participation in, a, in an embedded team. And that said, I think that there is definitely there's definitely ways of making a centralized design team, but I think much more like more impactful or involved earlier in the product process. Um, it probably requires a lot more advocacy on the part of the design leader and, and maybe just also any design leaders that work underneath them and also a great relationship with PM and engineering to understand why that's important. If you embed everything, the value is immediately apparent because you can see the squads working together as one they're responsible for the same things they're accountable for the same things they're engaged in the same process they're trying to they're trying to work towards the same goals if you do it as a centralized org you have to proxy for some of that you have to make sure that everybody is aware there's an alignment aspect where you're always reminding people this is why it's important that design is involved this is this is why it's important this is why it's important this is just my experience but certainly that's the sort of the shift i've seen yeah, we've, I mean, we've had quite a few heads of designs and design directors on the podcast, and every mm. single one of them says the same thing. So something mm. along the lines of the the work that I do is, I don't push any pixels, obviously. I, I don't do that anymore. But the work that I do is is the work that's required to allow the designers on the ground, so to speak, to do the work that they're here to do. Mm-hmm. There has to be someone at the top to frame design, to advocate for it, evangelize it if it's necessary. And the older the organization and the more, the less design driven it is, the more you need someone at the top to kind of pick pick that battles and, and fight them, really. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Just, you know, to make sure that design's represented at all of the touch points or the moments that the organization comes together to make sure that people remember, you know, like they remember the importance of design as a discipline as part of what we're doing. Um, no, I totally agree. And it's been interesting, I think, and this is maybe a somewhat of a function of my remote aspect as well, because the whole time I've worked at Microsoft, I've been five years, I've worked from East London and my team has always, almost always been based in and around Seattle with the leadership kind of based in and around Seattle as well. So again, when you talk about <clears throat> A design leader needing to have, uh, needing to pick those battles and remind us so and advocate for design at the kind of highest level. When I'm working eight hours separately, that's always a challenge. Like that's always a, a challenge to do when you're having to sync with those other design, oh, the other leaders in the organisation. Whereas yeah. I can see how quickly we're getting to that point already with an embedded model. And it doesn't require so much of me having to do that advocacy and, and so much of that kind of, um, I, I have a group of people I work with very closely. They understand that, the team understands that and, and we're sort of off and going. Yeah, that makes total sense. Let's go back to full stack 
but let me first ask you this. If I go on your website, the, the only thing you see, I, I thought that was so funny when I was doing my, my research is like, go into a website. The only thing you see is a Swiss army knife. <laughs> and I thought, I think I know what that means, yeah. but I'm going to yeah. ask him. So tell me about the Swiss army knife. What? No, you know what? So it, it's, so you, the Swiss army knife, it's interesting. I think for, so when I put the Swiss army knife in there as a sort of, you know, because I think when you're you're a younger designer, there's always everyone's always doing their own logos and they're doing their own this and that, and they try to, they're trying to kind of set their personal brand. And I think before personal brands were even a fun and cool thing to have, and an important thing to have, they're not just fun and cool. I think you know designers were trying to define themselves through and almost show off some of the craft, or or even talk about some of the, the way that they design. And, and the Swiss Army knife, one of those things where I was trying to think of a way that I could sort of visually depict my impression of my background and you're right that was your is, logo is yeah, that what that you're saying <laughs> essentially that was my logo and and i actually oh i don't know where it is now i have a small five-year-old son now and so leaving swiss army knives around the house is just something that's not really done but somewhere i have it and you can in fact get your swiss army knife personalized so there was no photoshop involved that was literally i got that's why the typography is a little shonky because it was done by the company Vic, victor x that, that make it but yeah i got a swiss army knife with my name printed on it as, a, as you say as a way of depicting that i have at that point up until that point anyway i had a um, variety of of different backgrounds and different things that i'd done and arguably that has only proliferated since then and so i guess the swiss army knife is still kind of applicable yeah it, I, I the interesting thing about that and we talked about talk about generalists and full stack designers as well I was super nervous about using that as a representation of myself. There was definitely a time when I made that image and I used that to represent myself that like being a generalist actually wasn't a good thing. You kind of wanted to be a UI designer or you wanted to be a right. UX designer or you wanted to be a typographer or a graph, you know, a brand. Like we had, there was the, the industry at that point was like being a specialist or someone super good at one particular area was actually more benefit, like was was judged to be better. I think that in a funny way has flipped on its head. And, and I think the idea of this kind of generalist or this full stack designer is, is been around for a while and is only, only becoming more important, I think. And, and just for the reasons we talked about earlier, the tools are cheap. Anybody can pick up Figma. You can watch a bunch of videos about how to use it the skills that we now need to learn and to understand are, are much, much different. So yeah, the Swiss Army knife was, is the depiction of me as a generalist back then. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think I, anything's I, changed. <laughs> no, that's good. It probably has evolved, as you said. You're, you're, you've added another, another tool I need, to I the Army I, knife. I need, I need to, I think I only had something like six or seven of those different things poking out the Swiss Army. I need the bigger one now, the one with all right. of the bits. So that's a proper what, that'll one. Be, yeah. That'll be my update. Keep an eye on that. <laughs> then your logo is coming soon. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting. You said in the past, uh, it was very important to have one skill and be really good at that. Well, I think it also comes down to what the organization you're working as part of needs, because I can think off the top of my head of a lot of startups that I've worked with that didn't really had, have the budget for uh, an individual researcher, a UI mm -hmm. designer, mm -hmm. a strategist and all that. They just needed one person who could do it all. Mm -hmm. And I also can think of quite a few large companies that ha had the budgets and had the organization structure to support, mm. 
all of these different roles that could be done mm -hmm. by one person, but they would prefer to have them separate. So it's, uh, I think it also comes down to the organization you're working as part of. I, I am a big, big, big fan of generalists. I'll, I'll openly admit I am one. But with that being said, I think it's really important to, to have one thing that you're really good at. So you're kind of like a T-shaped, you're a generalist, but it's more of a T-shaped generalist, if you will. Yeah, I think probably everybody is, even if they don't quite realize what that T bit is. But normally it comes from the background that has got them to where they are. Like, as you say, I think that, you know, we we joke quite a lot. We have a lot of very talented interaction and technical interaction designers on my team at the moment. And we joke quite a lot that I'm the only visual designer because I'm I'm the one with the visual design background and, and make and, and spend quite a lot of time helping the team with kind of direction around design systems or iconography or color or you know typography and things like that. And so that's yeah, I say as you say, we're we're all probably T shaped and sometimes it's good to sort of sit back and figure out what your kind of where your depth is, but our top of our T is getting wider, I think. And right. maybe, the, yes. maybe the kind of like the, I don't know, there's probably the long, a, a, the, there's, the, there's the a ver vertical, the vertical yeah. line. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, the we're supposed terms. to know this, aren't we? We should we're, know we're... these things. Back in the day, I probably would have done. But yes, whatever it is, apologies to any typographers listening. Yeah, definitely should know that. But yeah, the vertical bit is probably getting shallower. I think that's the thing that I'm certainly seeing anyway in the experience that I've had at the moment. It's not only technical skills, it's getting wider. The, the, like the, the, the top, the horizontal line is getting wider mm. because now, unlike I'll argue 10 years ago, mm. soft skills are becoming really important mm -hmm. for a designer that wants to you know, work at that, you know, intersection of design and business wants to be part of those conversations a bit earlier on, you know, needs to build trust with uh, the rest of the organization, needs to understand how to frame design and talk about design from the perspective of whoever you're presenting to. So all of these are soft skills. They're not technical skills. You, you really learn by sitting down and, and watching a tutorial. It's more through experience. So. Uh, we'll we'll talk about you know soft skills a bit later as part of the you know the, the the end of podcast question. But what do you think that that is is becoming more and more important in terms of soft skills? Well, no, so I, yeah, no, that's I mean, so as you say, like I you know, soft skills are almost everything you need if you want to be at that intersection. Oh, that's interesting. Like if, well, well, like because if you think about if you think about it, like the the, art, the the sort of activities that you're doing at this early stage are in practice and hopefully not all the time but in practice and hopefully they're much more these kind of collaborative whiteboarding activities they're prioritization activities they're they're not practice activities that necessarily need you to have a graphic design or any kind of creative background whatsoever everyone could pick up a pen and draw on a whiteboard and put up post-it notes and things like that and again that comes back to that sort of like how do we define what it is that makes design design or, or makes interaction design design and again you know in a way this is a little bit back to what i was talking about earlier where the sometimes designers need a bit of time to acclimatize to this new way of working and then the kind of things that they're being expected to bring to a meeting or, or a kind of a conversation or a workshop. And you're right, like soft skills are super like invaluable. Um, and in a lot of times, because actually, and I don't think I'm, I think I'm okay to say this, but not everybody is blessed with a skill in soft skills, particularly if their discipline they're working in doesn't necessarily need require them to have soft skills you know and and so like being uh a great facilitator or a great collaborator a, br a brilliant user ad like advocate for the user or the customer we talk about a lot inside microsoft is enormously important it's a huge thing of of how i believe design 
again, can be impactful early in the process, how design becomes important to business. I think the one thing I really learned through my time so far at Microsoft is, is just framing how we talk about it. This is not like rocket science, you know, it's not rocket science, but I came into Microsoft not fully understanding this as well as I now understand it. And, and in part, that's because I was very quickly having conversations with engineering leaders and PM, PM leaders about why it's important. And, and, and I saw how they talked about the importance of their work. And we talk about this inside Microsoft a lot, but I think it's very common inside most large organizations. And it's just the idea of impact. The idea of impact, it's just, it's in some ways just describe it very simple. It's like you, you have, you do things, but why do you do things? We talk about activities and impact. So you do things every day, every week, you've done something. It is sadly rare that we regularly sit and talk and think and sort of analyze ourselves about why we're doing those things. It's not always rare. And it, you know, d depends on, on kind of like the seniority of designer you are or the type of designer you are, we will, uh, letting away a lot of trade secrets here, we will often come round to kind of like these review processes we have with inside Microsoft and we're asked to describe the impact that we had over a given period. And that is hard. P designers, every, almost every single person I've worked with on those sort of appraisal processes really struggles with that. And in fact, I've worked with managers in, in teams to try and clarify how design can talk about impact or how design can take impact. And and I have a kind of like, I have an opinion, which I know is not um, not the same as some of the people I worked with, but I'm, I'm happy to go there anyway. And I think this is, it's interesting. I think this is more true in my more recent team. I, I, I actually believe to an extent, and just to be clear, it's very easy to talk about impact when you're saying I moved metric A to from zero to 20 or something. I move my NPS score from zero to 40 over a given period. And and I see our partner disciplines in, in PM and engineering able to very easily talk and look at, at, point at rather tangible statistics or metrics that they have you know shifted the needle on. And and that can be great. That can That's a very easy way of understanding the impact of the, the work that they did. Design, I think, has a harder job because it often is involved in some of the things that are talked about at the end sort of later on down the line or they've been involved early but like how do you quantify what the impact of that does of the designer being in that initial kind of workshop was and so we tend to look at these sort of the end game almost what did we deliver you know what do we deliver from a kind of like output and assets and red lines and i've seen so many kind of those conversations where someone's kind of like i delivered this 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 is a huge bullet pointed list and i was like well <laughs> why <laughs> and is this a blank look and i'm like uh okay so we need to kind of unpick it all and i spend a lot of time talking with designers about how we unpick that and try and get to the nugget of like why the work that they did and it's always there do you know what I mean? It's like the five whys. It's like you just keep asking until we get to this nugget of like why it's important. But the thing that I I know that I'm, you know, I'm not maybe alone, but certainly I'm not always in agreement with people I work with about is that I do, I do believe that design, and I believe there's more and more now, the way that my team is organized as embedded teams with squads. I believe that the impact of the work that they collaboratively do should be attributed to the designers as well. Like I believe that like design should be able to say, you know, our NPS score went from 
zero to 40 again, we can draw a line to the work that we did around NPS or something or usability that was an NPS theme to say that actually we can say we contributed towards that 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 metric. But it's hard, I would say. Like it's hard to sort of find those hard things that people feel good about saying yes, A to B, that's thing, and draw a line back to some design work or some design involvement. Maybe even the same for research. I'm not sure. Maybe maybe not. I don't know. That's an interesting one. Well, the way I think about it is in any other industry, if you want to talk about impact, you would count the impact of the entire team. So this goes mm-hmm. both ways. It's it's mm. it's it, whatever the PMs and the engineer team is talking about in terms of improvements, design has likely had an impact on that. But the other way around as well, because I sometimes talk to designers and ask, well, what's the impact here? Like, well, we've moved metric A to metric B. Who's we? Yes. Or well, we the design team. Mm, who else? Because you can't ship products, you just, exactly. you're a designer, right? So it, surely it's the it's the testers, it's the analytics team, it's everyone else. You know, an analogy is if you build a, a a building, who gets credit? Just the bricklayers? Mm-hmm. No, sure. it's the exactly. architect, it's the bricklayers, the carpenters, is everyone else. And, and and similarly, I find because design is a team sport, and that's why I think it's interesting. Sometimes I have conversations. Well, who's more important in a product team? There's no such thing. There is no such thing. Everyone is a piece of the puzzle. And without a piece of the puzzle, regardless of which piece of the puzzle that is, it's not a complete puzzle. That doesn't make sense. Exactly. So I also think it should go the other way where designers should give more credit to the the rest of their teams. And, and, And I'm wondering, how are you empowering your teams on a daily basis to talk about design to whichever stakeholders they need to talk about design to from the perspective of, of impact? from the perspective of here's what this team has achieved over this period of time. How, how are you doing? That? How do we do No, So, well, it's, I mean, so it's interesting. No, I, I like, again, this comes back to this idea of like, how do you shape a team as well? It's much easier to say this team achieved this and this team have these different pieces of a puzzle that achieved this. And without that piece of puzzle, obviously the puzzle isn't clear. It's much easier to do that when you have distinct squads. And like, but your question was, how do we kind of empower design or, or talk about it on a regular basis. One of the things that we set out to do, um, I'll give this as another example. So one of the things that we set out to do when we when, when we set up this kind of squad model, which you're doing now, was that we have regular check-ins for the entire team. So there's a couple of things actually. Um, we do a regular check-in every month for the entire team and everyone brings together and we walk through experiences that the cross-functional teams have worked on together. And a lot of time it can be a designer and a PM presenting it, but the engineer will also be there. Like it is very much like a a group effort. So whenever we're sharing, it's not design did this thing or PM did this thing or engineer built this thing. It's a group, like everybody feels like it's a, I hope everyone feels anyways, that it's something that they all worked on and they are all seeing the benefits of that. The other thing that I'm really enjoying at the moment is we do a weekly, what we call UX review. It's not a, a sort of a particularly snazzy name or particularly kind of like clever format there's a need sometimes to do some form of kind of ux gate um for experiences coming through that the work that we're doing and what i've been really in the past when i've done those as a centralized design work what what has happened is we've had a we've had a bunch of incredibly talented very senior designers and we'll have one or two pms kind of walking into this environment and showing their work and often with the engineers and sometimes those conversations are great and sometimes the conversations are quite spiky. And 
it wasn't until kind of close to my end of my time at DevTools that I, I heard some lateral feedback that those are quite scary things to step into. This was a bunch of my colleagues and people I knew well and friends of mine. And I certainly thought, and I was always very careful to try and be as inclusive and low stress, although there's a kind of function of those forums where it was a kind of go, no go aspect. If it really wasn't up to snuff, we needed to ask them to come back and do some work on it. Um, but I heard laterally that those are quite, they were, they had, they had been quite kind of imposing, intimidating forums to step into as a PM or engineer. The the thing that we're doing now is, um, is, is like from the get-go, a, a completely cross-functional conversation. And so like every UX review that we have every week, uh, we'll have, you know, the, the, the experiences that the, the PM engineer designers will bring in, but it's like the, the room is full of like engineers asking questions about the user. We've got, PMs asking technical questions. We've got designers asking, and it's a really much more um, lively, vibrant conversation. I think. I think they're less intimidating. I'll maybe find out later. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> after after they listen to this, they'll they'll come, got, and, they'll I know, they'll come and tell uh, me exactly, exactly. Tell me what were you on about? This. Yeah, I know, <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm expecting a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, all, all positives. <laughs> totally. We were talking earlier about soft skills, and hmm. I'd like to use that as a segue into talking about hiring and you know, portfolio reviews and all of that from the perspective of a manager. And what, what do you see a lot of designers do wrong? What do you see a lot of designers do right? And all of that. But, but let's, let's use the soft skills bridge. How do you, because it's easy to look at a portfolio and say, this person has the technical skills, but it's much harder to look at a portfolio and say, this person is a great communicator, or this person knows how to frame design for stakeholders. Like, mm -hmm. you, it's so hard. So how, how do you, even find out about that before you hire someone. Oh, that's interesting. Because that last bit of the question is the really tricky bit. So yeah, so I think I mentioned this before, we're hiring or have been hiring a lot of people at the moment. So I've been doing a lot of these sort of thinking and conversations at the moment. And I've kind of, you know, the, I guess it comes back to a little bit about what we're talking about earlier. Like the, what I see now in the sort of skill sets of folks coming through and looking to join our team is by and large, kind of like the same set of skills everybody has. Everybody kind of understands that they have to do a bit of research. Everyone understands they have to talk to the users. Everyone understands that they have to do wireframes. Everyone understands that they have to have feedback. And and the challenge then is because it becomes it becomes a bit noise. And I'll be I'm going to be fra very frank. It becomes a little bit noise. And so you know we've just literally today finished hiring for four roles. So that means I probably have talked to forty so plus people, and I've looked through just now countless. CVs and portfolios and online things as well. So um, what I think sets folks apart, and it's just what you were alluding to, is the, you know, is the storytelling aspect. Like what is unique that they can bring to this thing that they're sharing with us? And that doesn't have to be something that had millions of users. It doesn't have to be something that they could, you know, had a whole research team working on before they worked with the whole research team and they did all this validation there's almost always something like unique to the way, either the way that they approached it or the project itself, because humans are in inherently interesting and different and fickle and weird things. And that's, what's great about being, uh, you know, a UX designer, we get to work most of the time with human beings who are very difficult people things and drawing that out of their work is the things that have always set folks apart and been the ones that I'm like, okay, actually, those are the people that I really want to bring in for an interview loop. And even then, 
sometimes that doesn't work. Sometimes, even then, sometimes you think you've got a great storyteller and it transpires that that isn't quite the case, sadly, in the moment. And I think it is, it, it, it's, again, it sort of comes back a little bit to the why, a little bit. It's sort of like when, the, when you're sitting down and you're thinking of, like, f- from the perspective of the people applying, like, when you're sitting down and thinking about, like, how you want to set yourself apart be it online, be it in the conversation we have as an informational screen, be it in the interview itself, you are uniquely different to the next person that hiring manager will talk to. Um, what is it that you can help them remember you by? And, you know, I think that we have, we've had so many portfolio presentations that I've asked the team to sit through and that they've given me great feedback. There are a couple probably that were just brilliant storytelling and just stuck in the mind of everybody. Um, and it's, I think that... You talked a little bit about like how when you're looking for people, again, this comes back to this soft skill idea and it comes back to like how design continues to be an important function in software as the tools are kind of like as all democratized and the skills are all democratized. How does design or interaction design or UX design, whatever you want to call it, become an important function? It it will, I believe, it will become through the the skills that folks bring through things like, as you say, storytelling and, and like advocacy for. And so when you see those people start to pop up on portfolio reviews, you're like, okay, those are the ones I want to try and get on the team because I think they are they are not. I think everybody be, can be taught these skills. Like to be clear, like I think you can learn this stuff. It's practice and things like that. Some people come in to these things inherently easier they just feel more comfortable in those environments and doing that kind of work i enjoy that kind of work i think that's why i I like being a designer i I like telling stories yeah well would you say that storytelling and all those soft skills is something that shines through face-to-face or in an interview but in order to get the interview Mm -hmm. it's probably still the technical work it's Uh, the technical skills would you say that sort of but if you think like yes and no like i think as i said i think that there is I think technical skills, my honest opinion, technical skills by and large, particularly things like Figma, particularly in a, like if you're applying for somewhere like Microsoft or one of these other big tech companies, know that you will come into an environment where there is almost certainly like a very strongly defined design system, things like that, that that will kind of, I'm not going to say restrict your creativity, but they will guardrail what you're able to do as an interaction designer. Like that's just, I'm pretty confident in saying that's probably preferent across the other big tech companies that exist as well. It's certainly the kind of case inside Microsoft. And so I remember the portfolios that I review where they've tried to kind of like, you know, you're showing almost as you're trying to take the person, like take the viewer of, of this portfolio on a journey or through a story. Like, so if you're going to do a case study, don't make it this, like we don't, we have sadly little time to read the kind of it that to understand the real technical skill that you have we will make very quick judgment calls about those things based on what you sort of share on in in that portfolio but like if you can hook with a little story and maybe make that story just slightly quirky or unique or something to you or some way you approached it you'll probably be more likely to kind of have a conversation with a hiring manager after that. And maybe if you can have that conversation, that goes well, maybe even an interview after that and who knows, but it's, it's, I am, yeah, I'm always looking for something a bit different when I'm looking because there's so much that's, that's the same. And that's it's the same. Yeah. And it's, but, it, and it comes a little bit to sort of, you know, when I graduated 20 years ago, 
Gosh, that's a terrifying thing. Almost 20 years ago. Yes, it was 20 years ago. Oh, God. There there wasn't any of the courses that there are existing in things like UX and UI design, interaction design. There's courses that I don't think that, you know, that go back even further in the discipline was a sort of nascent thing. I know talented designers inside Microsoft who've been there for sort of 30 plus years and came in with a background as kind of artists and kind of print designers and worked on some of the you know, very first UI stuff, but before that was even a thing. And I think that one of the challenges probably for the education establishments these days is that there's so, they're filling the market with kind of people with round about the same sort of skills. So like, maybe it's interesting, like with this idea of soft skills, like what are the skills we can equip uh, young designers with to have them stand out? And there's some colleges do that well. Some colleges focus on the technical stuff, you know, dependent on their... Yeah. Well, I think that if more people think the way you do, which is, is, is a question, then potentially talk. it could be, yeah, <laughs> yeah. potentially it's maybe easier to get into design by coming, by coming from a different background. Yeah. Well, so if, actually, if the technical, really if the technical mm-hmm. skill is not that important, I mean, obviously it's important to have that baseline fundamental, but if what's more important is how you can build relationships with people, how you can foster trust, how you can talk about, or you can st- tell a story, all of that then you might be able to to start in design from another industry as well. And you know what? That's a great segue because actually it touches a little bit on this question you were going to ask me, I think at the end about, about like what the soft skill is, but also it, it reminds me that, you know, and I think to start with, this was a, a function of a little bit of working in such technical design areas. So, you know, I was a design manager for developer tools for years, and now I'm working in design manager for, uh, for machine learning tools at Microsoft. Trying to find folks that had a mixture of interaction design skills, a bit of those research skills, and also had an understanding of ML. I'm thinking about kind of most recently, the kind of the hiring I'd be doing. Like that sort of Venn diagram is a finding those people in the middle is super hard. So you start to think actually, what are the most important bits and what are the least important bits and what are the bits I can teach people on the role? What are the bits that the leads on our team can help support kind of like designers without maybe some of those kind of like, when I say technical, I mean, when, when you say technical to me, I think of like technical as in the kind of, can they understand the kind of AI ML space, but it's really kind of the design craft skills as well. It's the craft skills too. I was thinking about across dev tools and ML, like I have, I think I might be one of the only people with an actual arts graphic design background that I've hired into one of these teams. They almost, almost all of the brilliant people that we've brought into Microsoft have come through a, what we call non-traditional background. Almost all of them and many of them, and I can't think of one that hasn't, are flourishing. Do you know what I mean? Because they can, they have the the guidelines and the foundation of a kind of like a good structure and uh, craft and an understanding of that. And it comes a bit back to that design idea that you're kind of working within guardrails in these big companies. Um, But they also come in with a slightly different, like a a different approach or different perspective of things. And I think that's really interesting. Well, let me know what you think about this. Because you said earlier that Venn diagram, when you look to hire someone, most of the time you have a problem that you need solved or all that you need filled. And then you, you, you have a specific person in mind. And whenever someone in an interview is kind of like that person that you have in mind, that's the person you would t- try to hire. So if, if it's a matter of the person I need to hire is a person that kind of fits what we need here. Do you think that on the, some, on the side of someone who's looking for a job, it's also a matter of, of focusing. So first of all, thinking, well, what type of, what type of work do I want to do? 
which do I want to do consumer? Do I want to do enterprise? Do I want to do super technical stuff? Do I want to do, and then polishing your skills and everything else that you need around that to match the type of job that you want to do, or you just go as wide as possible, cast the fishnet as wide as possible and hope you're going to ch- f- uh, catch something. Um, it's probably the former Christian, I think. And, and, and I think, although I'm like, personally, I wish it was the latter and that people were able to do all sorts of different creative things and that that would allow them to get whatever job they wanted. Having sat in the design hiring manager's seat for the last couple of months, I know that I have preferred candidates and been more interested in the candidates that have a more enterprise bent to the work that they do, the kind of enterprise, kind of business to business, internal tool stuff. And it's, and it's, it's a sad fact of like, and it's, it's not a sad fact so much, but it's like, I'm thinking, kind of thinking about the candidate as I'm looking at this stuff, because I also want them to be successful. I want, I don't want them to come into a design team in Microsoft and there's plenty of other consumer and other types of work that Microsoft does anyway. Um, but I don't wouldn't want them to come into this very specific space and not succeed and be and struggle and really, really struggle. I feel like, you know, in saying that I'm taking the opportunity away from a bunch of people that may not have that background, but want to get into AI and ML space or, or developer tools as well. But as you say, as a hiring manager, you're kind of balanced with normally, if you have an open role, you are, you have a gap. And that normally means that things are like, leaking all over the place and you've got PM and engineering asking you for when that design is going to start. And these are all things that I've been experiencing the last couple of months. Like how quickly can we fill that role? There's always an, a speed, a speed aspect. You're very rarely sitting with an open job position going, I just fancied hiring a designer. It's always like, <laughs> <laughs> we need to fill this role as fast as possible. Um, yeah. I mean, and I, I think I've been very lucky in the last, as I said, the last of the roles I've been hiring for is that we hired so many, we had three three for my team and one for a partner team. And the advantage of having a few open at the same time is that you, as you say, you might meet somebody and you're like, this is that perfect person for that thing. But then you might meet an even more perfect person, but you've got a little bit more latitude. Like we have a little bit more latitude in the type of work that we're doing to sort of go, actually, uh, let's put that this other person in this place or let's put this, you can figure it out. Often when you've got one role, as you describe, you've got one gap that you're trying to fill it you're probably just trying to fill that gap in the same with the same shape of person that you lost or that's moved on from the team as well so yeah it's um yeah interesting though i'll um change the topic a little bit something that i wanted to ask you is you're a you know manager now a manager is a different career path than the one of an individual contributor Mm -hmm. than the one of someone who's sitting in figma all day and delivering Mm -hmm. meetings reviews whatever it is Mm. Uh, i would assume a lot of your day is you know spent around managing uh, one-on-ones hiring maybe all of that so but one day uh, you know a few years ago you were a designer too and at some Mm -hmm. point you've decided to make that that shift into management. And I'd like to talk a bit about that. Why have you done it? And and how do you think, looking back, what was that? What was it at that point that made you want to move into management versus staying a uh, contributor? So I can only, t- so, that, so here's, that's an interesting, so I, I've just started doing a bit of mentoring on the ADP list website. And I have to say that I've had a lot of people already coming to me saying, I, I, I want, either I want to be a manager or I've been made a manager. And the or even just asking me kind of similar questions to that. My journey to management was actually genuinely uh, 
I was incredibly lucky to have a manager I had at that point or a skip level manager. So someone, someone moved out of our team and we spent a good deal of time in DevTools trying to find a, an alternative to that director. And I was working, I was kind of co-leading the team at that point with the other very senior design manager on the team. And I just had a conversation with the you know, VP of, of, of program management. And he's, you know, he said, would you be interested in, in taking this on? And I was incredibly lucky for him to, I think he saw a mixture of kind of a bit of people skills that obviously does an understanding of design and also a kind of an aptitude around technical that he thought would fit well for that. So sometimes, you know, the step into management is circumstantial and I guess mine was circumstantial and I'm, I'm kind of like, I, I, you know, it wasn't my five to 10 year plan. Probably I came into Microsoft as an IC. I was enjoying being an IC and I didn't also, I, you know, I don't think one of the other things I say to other people as well, I genuinely don't believe you have to step I don't know if this is true everywhere. I know it's true at Microsoft and I know it's true. I know it's not true everywhere as well, actually, is, is my point. You shouldn't have to step into management to continue your career, like, because it's very, very different. And I, I experienced that very quickly. You very quickly go from, yeah, working in Figma and gosh, we used Illustrator back then. Um, and um into just talking about appraisals and figuring out team structure and, and having one-to-ones with kind of unhappy members of the team and, and trying to figure out how you could help and support them. And I, I've sort of grown to love that bit. I think you have to sort of love a bit of that. I know lots of people that have stepped into management and really not enjoyed it and wanted to go straight back to IC or, or have, you know, in, in some cases we've, you know, lost talent to the company because they, couldn't they didn't feel like they could step back and i see and i think there's a, like a very old school way and i don't think this is don't think this is just microsoft but i think that generally in industry or business it is seen as a step down if you go into management and then decide you don't like it anymore and i think that's totally broken because i think that companies will continue to lose great 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 talent if if we don't and it's not that companies say that that's how it should be. But we don't say that it can be different. We don't say that yeah. enough. You right. know, like we don't push that enough and people still have this nugget in their head where they think they can't can't stay at a company because they, they don't want to be a manager anymore. And I think that's a real shame. But I've stuck at it. I was incredibly lucky to work with some really talented managers at the time who really helped me on my kind of like management, management manager transformation journey, as well as having a brilliant manager myself who would help me with that too so but yeah it was a circumstantial change that ended me doing this <laughs> fair enough yeah all right let's go to the end of podcast questions you okay. might already have answered this one but i'll ask again just in okay. case you have a different answer so what's yeah, one soft skill that you wish more designers would know would well possess? it is different it is different um and i think i was thinking about this earlier that curiosity okay. i wish and it comes back to why i think why I think the shape of designers needs to change. And, and like, I think I, I wish more folks were more curious about the different bits of making products. Like I wish more designers were more curious, like, and, and that they were more curious about research and how to get involved in that. They were more curious about like, how do we measure things and keep a track of that measurement? They were more curious about like the, the code that goes in to building the thing that they've designed in Figma and how do we keep a track of that and help the engineers polish it? Like, like all of that for me is curiosity 
I'm incredibly nosy and and curious. I think it comes from my mum, uh, who won't ever listen to this, so I can safely say that. And um, and I think that I've just that's helped me connect lots of dots. I think in the past, and it's helped me build relationships in spaces that aren't naturally designed because I'm just curious about what they're doing and how that that ties into what we're all trying to do together. This is not thinking about my team, but just in general, I'd love. Um, if more kind of designers were more curious about what else goes on in in that organization and how how they might be involved or even just informed about it okay curiosity is an answer we haven't had before so ah, i love that one excellent. that's pretty good yeah <laughs> the other one is what's uh, one piece of advice that has changed your career for the better so yeah i mean this is this is somewhat easy and we've touched a little bit on this as well and it, and it probably was that moment where i became a manager of the dev tools team in 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 microsoft and it's when i started working with my manager back then and although he wasn't a designer he pushed me to think about why for everything it's the idea of activities to impact and as soon like that for me that idea of impact when you get it it unlocks everything it unlocks like it helps you really think about even your day-to-day or week-to-week what is the most important thing i could be doing now for x like for me it's for the team for the designer it could be for the project for you know everyone has a different answer to that but like why am i doing this thing i can't always come back to this idea of like we're only given eight hours time in a day and so you have to try and make sure you're using it as wisely as you can yeah. i think yeah that's so it's just keep thinking about why i think is the thing that i i've, I've always been rem- reminded of Good. That's a good one. I don't think cool. we've had that one either. Aha, so you got two excellent. out of two. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Jamie, this has been such a great conversation. Oh, In case anyone that. wants Thank to follow you. up or they want to know more about you, where can they reach out? Ooh, well, so yeah, I am on LinkedIn and you feel free to, to reach out. Yeah, happy to chat there. Also, I'm, I'm enormously enjoying the conversations I'm having on ADP list at the moment. If you want to have a chat with me there about any of the stuff we've just talked about or anything else to do with kind of like design or management or any of those things, then I'm happy to kind of like, yeah, happy to chat to you there too. Amazing. Jimmy, once again, thank you very much for being part of the Design Meets Business Journey. Oh, this has been very welcome. really cool, a great, great. conversation oh, and uh, we'll catch up soon again. Okay. Thank you. What a season this has been, 10 shows, 10 fantastic conversations about the value of design, how we can become better and more efficient and more effective at our work. How can we set our best foot forward when looking for work? We've also talked a lot about building trust with your product team and your internal stakeholders. We've talked about learning how to use data and metrics to your advantage. This has been a season packed with knowledge. I am beyond excited for season three next year. And until then, I'd appreciate it if you could leave the podcast to review. And if any of these conversations has been useful to you, I hope you'll share them with your community. I'll sign off for now. And thanks a lot for listening. I cannot wait to bring you 10 more of these conversations in the next season. Take care.